I have entitled this message, The Sinner's Prayer. Now, in giving this message, this title, I'm not talking about what soul winners do when they find somebody and get them to say, say this prayer after me. That is an abomination. If someone is seeking the Lord, they don't have to have somebody tell them what to say. The sinner's prayer. Now, like I said, six weeks ago or so, I brought a message entitled A Definitive Parable. It was a parable on the Pharisee and the publican. And I think that that particular parable can certainly be definitive of the entire message of Scripture. But what I thought about even then is the prayer of the publican, what he prayed. Uh, There are two prayers in that parable. The first, the parable of the Pharisee. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And then there is the prayer of the publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the original, the definite article is used, the sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. And what is uh, very important is that word merciful is propitious. Propitious. Now you can't pray that prayer if you don't understand what that means. God be propitious to me, the sinner. And I pray that God will give us an understanding of that prayer through this message and that every one of us might pray that prayer from our heart, inspired by the Spirit of God. God be propitious to me, the sinner. Now, have I prayed that prayer with understanding? God be propitious to me. The sinner. Now, obviously, I haven't prayed that prayer if I don't have some understanding of the fact that I'm a sinner. You know, the only person who can teach me and you that we're sinners is the Lord Himself. If He teaches you, you'll know. Now, if there's no God, Uh, One could argue who's to say that there's sin in the first place. Uh, By what standard? But if there's a God, and there is, there is sin. Sin is the transgression of his law. Since there is a God, there is sin. God be merciful. God be propitious to me, the sinner. Now, I ask Siri what propitiation means. What does it mean to propitiate? Y'all ever ask Siri anything? (laughs) Let me read her definition. To win or to gain favor to God's or person's by doing something that pleases them. 
Now that's serious definition. To win favor by doing something that pleases them. And that really is the idea of human religion. You've got an angry God, do something to propitiate him, to gain his favor. That is salvation by works. That is salvation by works. But it's an accurate description of how the word is used everywhere but in the Bible. The Bible never uses the word like this, like Siri defined, but this is the way religion would use the word. Uh, Siri described the religion of the natural man. Do something, do something that will make God favorable toward you. Do something to gain his favor. Now let me show you an example of that in Romans chapter 10. Verse 5, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live in them, or live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in your heart, don't even think this, who shall ascend into heaven Meaning, that is to bring Christ down from above. What can we do that will make Christ come down and do something for us? Same thing Siri said. What can we do that will make Christ come down and do something for us? Verse 7, or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. What can we do? that will make his death work for us? What can we do to cause him and his work to be effectual to us? What can we do to propitiate God? What can we do to get Christ to look down with his favor upon us? Now that's the religion of the natural man. What can we do to propitiate God. Propitiation is what God does for himself to enable him to do something for me or you. The Bible never speaks of man doing something to propitiate God. The Bible only speaks of what God does for himself to enable him to do something for me or for you. Would you turn with me to Hebrews 9? I'm going to ask you at the first of this message to turn to several scriptures. I want to know what it means to pray, God, be propitious to me, the sinner. Now, in this chapter... The writer to the Hebrews is giving the furniture, the paraphernalia of the tabernacle. 
And look what he says in verse 5. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. There the word is translated mercy seat. Now, I want to understand what propitiation is. I want you to understand it. It's called here the mercy seat. Turn to Romans chapter 3. I want us to see how the same word translated mercy seat, the exact same word, is also translated propitiation. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That word mercy seat is the same word propitiation. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Whom God has foreordained is what the word means. God has set his son forth. He's purposed his son to be a propitiation. Now this mercy seat. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. Verse 17. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. That's what the writer to the Hebrews was talking about. That's that lid, that covering that was to be put over the Ark of the Covenant. It's called a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Look down in verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the Ark. And in the Ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee And there will I meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Now, if me and you are going to have communion with God, if he's going to meet with us, and what a glorious thing for God to meet with me and to have communion with me and make himself known to me. Here's where it's going to take place. The mercy seat, the propitiatory lid, the propitiation. Now, this word is used to, it comes from the word atonement out of the Old Testament or covering. Uh, If you look in Leviticus chapter 16 on that chapter on the great day of atonement, 16 times that word is used. Atonement, covering, to atone for sin. Now, the propitiatory lid shows how God has made a way to show favor to sinners. You don't bring this. You don't propitiate God. You don't do anything to gain his favor. But thank God this glorious God has propitiated himself. And he's made a way. For him to show me and you favor without any reference to us doing anything to earn his favor. Now, we were already in Romans chapter 3. Turn back to Romans chapter 3. Whom God, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a mercy seat through faith in his blood. Now, 
In Romans chapter 1, Paul had declared the wickedness of the Gentile world. Look in verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, sexual sin, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What a wicked bunch of people. I don't know of a more clear exposition of the sinfulness of man than right there. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Chapter 2, verse 1. Did anybody think, yes, those people are very wicked? I agree with that. I give my amen to that. That's a wicked bunch of people. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, that you look at those people and judge them. Now, wait a minute. What they did is wrong. What they did is sinful. I mean, what a catalog of sin that is. But yet Paul says to man, that means me and you. That means everybody everywhere. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art the judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, you condemn yourself. For thou the judgest doest the same things. With regard to that horrible catalog of sin, God says, you sit in judgment on those people, you're playing the hypocrite because you're doing the same things. And somebody says, I'm not doing those things. You want me to believe you or God? I believe God. I believe God. Now that's the Gentile world. Now look in verse 17 of chapter 2. Now he turns to the Jew. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law. You're not like those Gentiles. You make your boast of God and you know his will and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit Sacrilege. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Now look in chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews better than those sinful Gentiles? 
No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it's written, Paul says, I'm given what the scripture has always taught. As it is written, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Look down in verse 23. Or verse 22. The last phrase. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short. And that's me and you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now there's a definition of sin for you. Is there anything that you've done that's fallen short of the glory of God. I love the way Paul says there's no difference. Not before God. There's no difference. At least I'm better than so and so. No, you're not. There's no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here's the gospel, verse 24. Being justified Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Propitiation is what God has done so he can be just and justify somebody like me or you. The Bible never speaks of what we do to propitiate God or gain God's favor, but what he has done for himself in order to give folks like me and you his favor. For God to do something for me or you, he first had to do something for himself. That's the cross. I love when Isaac said, Father, here, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God shall provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, he, he's the one who does the providing. You can't provide. Amen? You can't provide. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. The blood was first for him. It's for him. God provides himself. Christ Jesus is God. God provides himself as the lamb for the burnt offering. And that's propitiation. God providing himself. Now, what I would like to do is uh, give 
you five things the Bible teaches about propitiation. Now remember, we can't pray that prayer, God be propitious to me, the sinner, if we don't understand what it means. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at five different places this word is used in the Bible. Other than the ones we've already seen. Verse 16. For verily he, the Lord Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels... You know, the Lord didn't die for the sin of the angels. They're reserved to be destroyed. You know, I've never heard anybody complain about that. Maybe some of the angels did, but I've never heard a human. No, it's not fair. He didn't die for the sin of the angels. He didn't. He took upon him not the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, verse 17, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Who are his brethren? Look in verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for the which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Those are who his brothers are. Those he sanctifies. Those he sets apart. He's not ashamed to call them his Brethren, you know, the Lord, if you're a believer, the Lord's not ashamed to identify you. This one of my brethren. Isn't that amazing? Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He was made sin. He's got to be made like his brethren. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, that word reconciliation is the word propitiation. Same word. Here they translate it reconciliation, but it's the word propitiation. What he did on Calvary's tree propitiated God and made the way for him to freely give us his favor. Listen to this scripture, Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? There's nothing to prevent him from freely giving you everything his person and work accomplished. And I love the way the translators call propitiation here reconciliation. Now listen to me. God is reconciled. That means there's nothing you need to do to gain his favor. Christ accomplished it. God is reconciled. Forget doing. God is reconciled. 
and we don't do anything to bring that about, this is the work of Christ alone. He by himself purged our sins. Now, his propitiation is God being reconciled. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 12, 4, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Now that's the same merciful that is translated merciful in the prayer of the publican. I will be propitious. I will be propitious to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. Will I remember No more. Because of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, God making a way for him to have favor toward me. Because of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, I will be propitious. Their sins, their iniquities, will I remember no more. Now, I wish I could say this the way it ought to be said. How can an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God forget and not remember my sins? Now, I I said this to to the Sunday school class this morning. Uh, There's some kind of drug they give you when you're having your throat stretched or having a colonoscopy or any of those horrible things that people have to do makes you forget it. You wake up and you don't remember it happening. At one time, my, I was having my throat stretched and the doctor said, I want to see how you react. And he didn't give me any of that stuff. That was horrible. I got my throat stretched without having any of that stuff that made me forget it. Um, but I would, generally speaking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember it but I was aware of it. My throat was scratchy. I could feel that I had had that, although I couldn't remember it taking a place. God's forgetting is not like that. The only reason he forgets sin is because there's nothing there to remember because of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ. When Christ died, my sin was expunged from the universe. It's gone. It's gone. When he said to that poor woman taken in adultery, hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn thee. There's only one reason he can say to that woman, neither do I condemn thee. Because there's nothing to condemn her for because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why those sins cannot be remembered. They're gone. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that can condemn? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 1 John 3, 5 says that he was manifested to take away our sins. Take them away. Listen to this scripture from Jeremiah 
50, verse 20, In those days and at that time, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. Do you hear that? There shall be none. God looks. He always finds what he's looking for. And there shall be none. You see, when the believer is judged, he's judged from the book of life. And beside my name is sinlessness. There shall be none. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from A double L all sin. That is why the Lord said with regard to this publican who prayed this prayer. God be propitious to me, the sinner. You know what the Lord said? I tell you. This man went down to his house justified, cleared, declared not guilty, sinless, because of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ. Now turn to 1 John chapter 4. I want you to look at these with me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, the religion of the natural man is do something to propitiate an angry God. The gospel says it's the love of God that sent his son. There's the reason behind propitiation. The love of God. God didn't send his son to make a way for him to love. God sent his son because he did love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's behind God providing this propitiation? The love of of God there's nothing that can prevent him from giving you all the things of salvation because his love sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins now you're in 1st John turn to 1st John chapter 2 The propitiation Christ accomplished is the ground of his intercession and his advocacy on our behalf. Look in verse 1. My little children, term of endearment. 
These things write I unto you that you sin not. People say, well, what you all believe will lead people to sin. This thing of salvation being utterly and completely by grace, that your personal conduct doesn't have anything to do with you gaining God's acceptance. It's, it's utterly by grace. Why, that'll lead you to sin. Not a believer. Somebody that has that attitude just doesn't understand. They've never known God. They've never seen God. They've never been saved by His grace. I love what John says. These things write I unto you that you personally sin not. Boy, aren't you thankful for that admonition? Everything in the Bible says sin not. When you do. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Now, the propitiation of Christ is the ground of his advocacy and his intercession. Now, I, I love talking about the Lord being our lawyer. And this is what's being said, this kind of language, the advocate. I need to have someone as my advocate. Now, our lawyer is Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the son of the judge. Everyone he's ever been an advocate for has been saved. He's never failed. He's incapable of failure. What an advocate. You know, there won't be anybody in hell that he represented. There won't be anybody in hell that God loved. What an advocate. Incapable of failure. And here's another thing about our advocate. He makes all of his clients plead guilty. And yet, they're all justified. What an advocate. And who is he? What's his ground? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's the ground of his advocacy. Because he is the propitiation, he has removed the sin and made the way for God to give his favor. That's the brand of, he doesn't, listen, his, his intercession, it's not like this. Well, I say mournfully, how many sins have you committed over and over and over again, at least in your mind, in your heart, sins of repetition? Now, does the Lord say, please forgive him again? Please get him off the hook again. I know he's done it a thousand times, but go ahead and, and, and excuse him for the thousand first time. No. The ground of his advocacy 
is the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ where he removed the sin by his sacrifice. Now let's go back to our text in closing, Luke 18. The propitiatory sacrifice of Christ made God reconciled to me. It makes my sin to be forgotten. The reason behind the propitiatory sacrifice is the love of God. The propitiation Christ accomplished is the ground of his intercession. And now back to our text in Luke chapter 18. Let's look at this prayer. Verse 13 in the publican. Standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. But he smote upon his breast. He knew that's where his problem was. He smote upon his breast, saying, God, be propitious to me, the sinner. I can't do anything about my sin. I can't make it go away. I can't cause it not to be. My only hope is for you to be propitious to me, the sinner. Now, let me give you some real good news. Everyone, without exception, in the history of the universe who has prayed that prayer, the sinner's prayer, was heard by God. And if you, by His grace in your heart, Pray that prayer. God, be propitious to me, the sinner. Look what the Lord says in verse 14. I tell you. There's the authority. I tell you. This man went down to his house. Justified. Not merely forgiven. Not merely shown mercy, but justified. You see, that's because of the propitiation of Christ. The sin was removed. Righteousness given. That man went down to his justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself. Oh, may God give me the grace to do that. Even now to humble myself and the only way you really humble yourself is when you cry God be propitious to me the sinner let's pray Lord enable us by your grace to say with understanding, to say with 
desire to say because we don't have anything else we can say. God be propitious to me, the sinner, to us, the sinners, for Christ's sake. In his name we pray.